Matthew number 6. I think if we were to use one word, if we were to go around today in the room and we use one word to describe our lives, I doubt simple would be the word we would pick. I don't think simple is the word we were used because for life, life for many of us is so complicated. It's so busy. In many ways, it's overwhelming. Uh, We have so much clutter, stuff we don't need, stuff we don't use, uh, too many places to go, too much we want to do, too little sleep, and in reality, too little focus on what matters in this life. There's so much to distract us from our relationship with Christ, and there's so much in the way of us being all that God says we can be. See, simple is a word that for many of us, it wouldn't come close to describing our lives, but uh, deep within our lives, we crave it. We crave simple. We find ourselves sitting on the couch, maybe watching an Andy Griffith episode, and we crave the days of sitting on the front porch with a friend and deciding to go to the store and get a bottle of pop. (laughs) We crave the simplicity of what life was then. We desire for life to slow down, for people to chill out. We desire it, yet it escapes us. So how do we regain here a thought that, that just is on my mind as we begin a new year? How do we regain a simple life? How do we bring clarity to the chaos and confusion of our lives? How do we bring peace to our panic and our problems, rest to our weariness? Here's how as we look to the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Because in reality, life gets a lot simpler when we just simply do what Jesus says. Matthew chapter number 6, the setting of our text is in the middle of Jesus' powerful sermon we know as the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, Jesus expounded the law. He exposed Pharisaic legalism. And the immediate context of our uh, text this morning concerns wealth. Uh, True wealth does not come by having more, doing more, or experiencing more, but true wealth comes by seeking Him. The simple life is truly found in living a life that seeks Jesus. And there's four important elements in this text that are really going to help us this morning. Notice Matthew chapter 6. And let's begin by looking at verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither wrath, moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This morning, I want us to notice, number one, four elements to simple life. Number one is we have to live with principle. 
We have to live with principle. It's important to keep in mind as we read this text who Jesus is rebuking and directly addressing. He's rebuking and directly addressing the religious elites of his time. You see, the religious experts were covetous and they, were, uh, they, they loved to use religion to gain uh, wealth and pad their pockets. You see, often we divide material from the spiritual, but we see that Jesus makes no such division. He made it clear that the right attitude toward wealth is a mark of true spirituality. It's also important to note that Jesus didn't magnify poverty or, or criticize the legitimate getting of wealth. You see, God made all things, including food, clothing, and precious metals. God has declared that all things are good. God knows that we need certain things to survive. The Apostle Paul reminds us that he has given us richly all things to enjoy. Look, it's not a sin, listen to me, to possess things. But it is a sin for things to possess you. The sin of idolatry is as dangerous as the sin of hypocrisy. Jesus warned against the sin of living for the things of this life. This principle challenges us in three ways. Notice, these are on the screen for us this morning. What you pursue reveals your passion. Look at verse 21. It says this. For where your treasure is, what does it say? There your heart will be also. If the heart loves material things and puts earthly gain above heavenly investments, then the only result of that, listen to me, is tragic loss. The treasure of earth can be used for the Lord. But if we accumulate material things for our own personal benefit and for ourselves, we will lose them and we will lose our hearts with them. Some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life are wealthy people. They don't have the stresses of paying their bills like I have month after month. But yet they're miserable because they are controlled by their possessions, their wealth, and it only leads to misery. They are losing their hearts with their stuff. See, many lives have tragically been devastated by the pursuit of stuff. I wonder how many kids have been neglected because their parents pursue stuff. I wonder how many families are broken because of the pursuit of stuff. I wonder how many marriages have been shattered because of the pursuit of stuff. Wrong pursuits, listen to me. Why is our lives so complicated and chaotic and all over the place? Because most of us are pursuing the wrong stuff. The reason why our lives are so crazy and chaotic is because we pursue the wrong things. The principle is to store up treasures in heaven. What does this mean when Jesus says to store up treasures in heaven? It means to use all you have for the glory of God. It means to hang loose, to chill out when it comes to the material things of this life. It also means measuring life by the true riches of the kingdom and not the false riches of the world. That's what Jesus is calling his followers to do. See, what you pursue reveals your passion, but secondly, what you value affects your vision. Look at verse 22. The eye is, uh, is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. For either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Bible often uses the eye to represent the attitudes of the mind. If the eye, if our attitude and our mind is properly focused on the light, the body can function properly in its movements. 
But if the eye is out of focus and seeing double, it results only in unsteady movements. You see, it's very difficult to make progress while trying to look in two different directions at the same time. If our goal is the material gain of this life, it will mean darkness within. Our vision will be impaired. But if our goal is to serve God, to bring glory to Christ through all that we do, there will be light within. Our vision will be made clear. Many are overwhelmed in this life because of the high value, the high value they place on attaining more stuff that this life offers. You see, what you value affects your vision, complicates your life. The third element that we see in this text is this. You must be decisive, not divided. Jesus says this. He says, you can't serve two masters. How many know that to be true? You can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other. You'll despise the one and be devoted to the other, Jesus says. It's impossible to serve two masters simultaneously. Either Jesus Christ is our Lord or money or wealth or some other pursuit in this life is our Lord. And it's a matter of the will of every person in this room. You must decide. 1 Timothy 6, 9, Paul said this, but those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a snare. James, the half-brother of Christ, said this, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know why a lot of the light, the instability or instability in our life, you know where it comes from? It comes from us trying to serve two masters. We cannot experience simple life if we're trying to pursue and go in two different directions at the same time. See, much of the chaos boils down to our lack of commitment to serve only one master. See, life would be a lot simpler. Hey, y'all listen to what I'm about to say. This is going to help somebody. Life would be a lot simpler if we spent less time on Amazon and more time serving and giving and sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom. Live with principle. The second element this morning to living with, living simply, living life that is simple is live with precaution. In verse 25, Jesus says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Now I want you to jump to verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Jump down to verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Look at verse 32. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you will need all of these things. So what is the common theme in the verses we just read, the precaution that Jesus has given? Don't worry. Don't worry. We see a cure for anxiety in these verses, this sermon of Jesus, that no pill can emulate. And I'm not against medicine. But the ultimate cure for the anxiety and the things that trouble us is Jesus. It's his word. Think about how much of the anxiety of our lives we create because of our passions, our pursuits, and our pleasures. Our vision is impaired. And when you are seeing double, it leads to anxiety on some level. When our focus is in the wrong direction, we become worried. We become anxious. And this anxiety, it's unnatural and it's unspiritual. It's not what God has called us to live in. A person who pursues more wealth, more stuff, or pursues something other than Jesus is deceived thinking that these things, these pursuits in his life, will solve his problems. You see, material wealth gives a dangerous false sense of security, and that feeling tragically often ends very, very disastrously. 
Jesus cautions us that worry, listen to me, because we don't like calling it this, but to worry is to sin. Do you realize that? To worry is to sin. You know, we often like to point the finger at people we know that are sinning, but boy, worry is sin. And it's a sin maybe that many of us in this room struggle with. We often disguise it as something else, a burden or a concern, but the results are the same. Worry, Jesus says, is a sin against him. Instead of helping us live longer, anxiety only makes life shorter. In verse 27, Jesus said this. He said, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? The Greek word translated as being worried or taking thought, it literally means, listen to this, this Greek word has the idea of being pulled in two different directions. Here's the precaution that Jesus gives us. He said, worry, anxiety will rip your life apart. That's what he's telling the listeners. Worry and anxiety, it'll rip your life apart. Look, until man interferes, everything in nature works together. Because all of nature trusts God, but man is pulled apart because he tries to live his own life by depending on his own mind, his own worth, his own wealth to make it. It's impossible. Look, if we're to return to simple life, we need to live with principle. We need to live with precaution. But the third thing is this, we need to live with provision. Live with provision. Look at verse 26. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Verse 29. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Verse 32, look at this. Look at the last part. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. A phrase we often hear at my house is, Daddy, I'm so hungry. (laughs) I'm so hungry. You know, Tyler, our four-year-old, he is sure to announce when it is time to eat. I'm so hungry, Daddy. I'm so hungry. And we often have to correct it because the whiny voice, and and we try not to tolerate that stuff. Man, I can have a conversation, but don't whine, you know. And so he says, you know, he he comes in his whiny voice, it's it's time to eat, Daddy. I'm so hungry. And I look at him and say, I just did this the other day. I said, buddy, I said, has me or your mama ever let you go hungry? Well, no. Have you eaten every day of your life? Yes. Here's the point. Tyler does not have to worry about eating because I'm going to make sure he eats before I eat. How many parents understand if you don't have enough, you're going to let your kids eat first. I'm going to make sure he's got enough. You see, look, this is what Jesus is saying in these verses. Why are you worried about all this stuff? I know that you need it. And how many understand he's a perfect heavenly father? Praise God. And he knows that the things that we need, and he is going to provide all that we need. He reminds us, there's a couple of things he reminds us of. I want to point these out to you. He reminds us, he reminds all of us of our value. He reminds us of our value. In verse 26, he said this. He said, are you worth, aren't you worth much more than they are? He reminds that we are valuable to him. We are worth more to him than the lilies of the field, the animals, the birds of the air. We are worth more. Look, in a world, I want you to believe you are nothing more than an animal. Isn't that the message of our culture? You are worth much more than that to the Heavenly Father. 
He says, I'm going to take care of you. God sees. God cares. God is a good, good father. And he's going to meet all of our needs. 1 Peter 5, 7, a verse I love quoting, cast all your anxiety on him. Not, not some of it, not, not the, the big stuff. He wants to hear the little stuff that worries us, that troubles us. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And nobody ever cared for me like Jesus. So he's going to meet our needs. Psalms 37, 25, I have been young, now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God takes care of his kids is the point. He reminds us of our value. You are of much value to God. Live in that. Believe that. He says it. Then he reminds us, not of just our value, but he reminds us of his value. Of his value. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. Just like telling Tyler, look, mom and dad, you're going to make sure you eat. God knows our needs before we even speak them to him. He will make provision for each one. Hey, look, and there's some, it's some daddy that you and I have in the heavenly father. Because he owns it all. God never has to charge a credit card. He's never got to take out a loan. He owns it all. He has infinite supply of everything you and I need. And he says, I I know you need these things, these provisions for life. I will supply them. Because Amanda and I look back over 20 years together, there have been many moments when we weren't sure how needs were going to be met. Have you been there, church? You wondered how the bill was going to get paid? Sometimes where the next meal is going to come from, how are we going to make it? Finances are tough and tight. Look, we understand how that is right now. How many understand it's expensive to raise a family of six in in this country? Look, you know it's expensive to raise a a, a family in this country when your cousins from England come over here for a family reunion and they're talking about how expensive stuff is in America. It's expensive. It's tight. But we stand amazed at the continual provision of our Heavenly Father who has never let us go without, who has always met our needs in a miraculous way. Often we sit back in amazement and humility just how God takes care of us. Look, to live simply, to live a life that is simple, live with principle, live with precaution, live with His provision. He's going to take care of you. But the fourth thing this morning is this, is live with priority. Live with priority. In verse 33 it says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Everything in your life and mine, as far as living simply, falls right here. This is where the rubber meets the road. If your priorities are not in order, your life's not going to be in order. If your priorities are not right, you're not going to be right. You don't have to pray about what your number one priority in life is going to be. I'm not asking you to pray about this. This is not something to pray about. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to discuss it. You don't have to look for it. Jesus tells us what it should be. We have to do it. We have to simply obey this. He says, seek first his kingdom. The word seek means this. It means to actively pursue, to go after. In the Greek language, it's in the present tense, which means this is something that I do every single day of my life. I actively pursue, go after him. 
I want you to notice what we're told to seek. He says, seek first his kingdom. Number one, we're to seek his person. We're to seek his person. Now, to seek the kingdom, you must first seek the king. You must first seek the king. Because you cannot have a kingdom without a king. The priority of your life ought to be to seek the king of the kingdom. Did you know that the Christian life is more than just accepting Jesus? Somehow in this culture, uh, we have somehow bought into the idea that all I need to do is accept Jesus. No, the Christian life is more than accepting Christ. It's seeking Christ. The Lord is not someone you just passively accept. He is someone that you actively seek each day of your life. I don't know all of the details of your spiritual life, but I can tell you this. You have as much Jesus as you want to have. You're as close as you want to be to Christ. He's made it very simple. We are the ones who complicate it. James 4, 8 says this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh and he will draw nigh. See, God has promised in his word in Jeremiah 29, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. But it's not enough to just seek God. We must seek him first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Growing up in the homes that me and Amanda did, being in the limelight and the pastures and the glass house and all that kind of stuff. And even now, we're often viewed and judged like we think we have every, like everything in our marriage is perfect and our family is perfect. And people look at how we grew up and we're often judged by that. Look, there's nobody. Look, I get judgment. You know, I get the, the looks and the glances and the criticisms of people. We get all that. We're looked at often like we're high and mighty. I remember working with a guy uh, named Ethan at Chick-fil-A. And when I came, got sick and was sick for weeks and weeks while they were trying to figure out what was going on, I was still going to work, the only income in my family, and, and taking care of my, my wife and my, my infant son, Braden, at the time. And I was sick daily at work. And he came up to me and he says, I used to think your life was perfect. And now I know it's not because you're sick all the time. But he said something that always stuck with me and humbled me. He said, but you haven't changed. You haven't changed. You remain the same. The truth be told about Amanda and I, we often struggle. Amanda and I will have disagreements. We have to sit down. We have to talk about stuff. We have distractions. Our kids can, can act a fool sometimes. We get the stresses and struggles of life. There are many months finances are difficult. We're trying to figure out how to make things happen. We have things that attack us sometimes daily. How many understand this? And it's an attack straight from the devil when your kids cry for 40 minutes straight. That's an attack. That happened to me yesterday. I had to repent after that deal. Look, I could spend all day talking about the craziness of life, the things we've had to work through, look, the tragedy we've experienced as a family. All of you know about that. I can talk about the stuff we're going through right now uh, in our life that is troubling, that's challenging. I could spend all day talking about these things. Why have we remained stable? Why have we remained committed in our marriage? Why are we still in love 20 years later? Why do I still not, I don't mind showing public displays of affection to my wife. Why do I love my kids and try to lead them in the truth? Why am I at church every Sunday of the year, regardless of where I'm at in the country? But why is it that we don't put anything ahead of our faith and our relationship? Because there was a time, way back when, when me and Amanda said Jesus was going to be first. And we have realized that only, the only stability, strength that we experience in our life, peace comes from keeping him first. 
when I seek to put anything else in his place, when I neglect him for entertainment or whatever the case may be, life gets a lot more complicated for me. I don't do those things because I'm a pastor. I do those things because I'm a Christian. I'm someone who actively, daily pursues Jesus. You understand the first person in 2024 that every day Amanda has spent time with before she even spends time with me is Jesus. And I thank the Lord for that. Because Jesus comes before me and her life. Jesus comes before her in my life. Jesus comes before my kids. He comes before my friends. He comes before my career. Jesus is first. You know, Jesus told us unless he's in that place, he doesn't have any place. Unless he's right there, he's not present at all. He says to seek first his kingdom. That's where stability, strength, peace. We're the ones who create the chaos. We're the ones who create the craziness. Jesus kept it very simple. Look, just obey me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek his person, the king of the kingdom. Look, it regularly humbles me and my family to realize, look, church, listen, I am nothing without Jesus. Nothing. I'm reminded daily as I dig into his word that I am nothing without Christ. We're to seek his person, but we're also to seek his pleasure. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God ought to be the passion of your life. The pursuit of your life. The word kingdom literally means the rule or reign. Can I ask you this morning, who's the king of your castle? Who sits on the throne of your house? Is it you? Is it your wife, your husband, your kids? Or is it Jesus? Because he wants to be the king of your house. He wants to reign over every area of your life. We're also told to seek his purity. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And what does it say? His righteousness. Not our own righteousness. It says to seek His righteousness. This is not only where we to be seeking God's control over us, but we are also to be seeking God's character within us. We not only seek His control, we seek His character. We seek to be more like Him. See, the kingdom of God is not only to be inwardly experienced, it is to be outwardly expressed. You see, if God is ruling over you, then his righteousness will be within you. His way of living life will be in you. See, a man's character, a lady's character, is simply the outward expression of whatever is controlling him inwardly. It doesn't take very long to be around someone to realize who is in control, who is sitting on the throne of their heart. Faith is always seen by its fruit. Character is always seen by its conduct and choices that are made. You see, as we seek the kingdom of God, now listen to me, people ought to see the kingdom in us. Somebody say amen. See, we're to seek his person. We're to seek his pleasure. We're to seek his purity. But then we're to seek his promise. He says, and all of these things will be added to you. All of these things. Now, let's keep this phrase in its proper context. What is all of these things talking about? Well, the things he's just mentioned. The provision for your life will be taking care of you. I'm going to take care of you. You seek me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your needs. Hey, look. Now, let's just stop right here and say this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's simple, isn't it? It's very simple. 
Life truly is simple when we, get, when we look through the lens of Scripture at life. We keep Jesus in his proper place. All of the needs of my life are going to be taken care of. He promised that. He's not responsible for the, uh, the craziness in my life. I am. Seek him first. In verse 34, he says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, worrying about tomorrow doesn't help today or tomorrow. If anything, it steals our joy today and our effectiveness tomorrow. Someone said that the average person is crucifying themselves between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. Look, it's right to plan for the future. It's right to save for the future. But it's a sin to worry about the future and to permit tomorrow to rob us of today's blessings. That's not seeking him first. Three words in this section point the way to victory over worry in our lives and enable us to live a simple life. In verse 30, you see the word faith. If you like marking your Bible, I would highlight or underline that word. You see the word faith. This verse tells us to trust God to meet our needs. This word tells us trust God to meet your needs in Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. God can meet every need you have. He's the only one who can. Verse 32, underline the word father. See, the father cares for his children. He's not absent. He is present. He loves you and he will provide for every need in your life. In verse 33, underline the word first. Seeking God first gives stability and balance to our lives that the world can't give. Now again, Hebrews 11, it tells us without faith, it's impossible to please. You know what faith is? Faith is putting the Father first. See, God doesn't want a place in our lives. God does not even want prominence in your life. God wants preeminence, and that means he wants absolute control. He wants to be first. God wants the first moments of every day. God wants the first day of every week. God wants the first part of every paycheck. He wants to be first. Look, if we have faith in our Father and seek Him first, He will meet our needs. See, living simply, simple life simply boils down to living with principle, storing up treasures in heaven. Living with precaution, worry will rip your life apart. Living with provision, God knows what you need, and living with priority, putting God first. That's how we live a simple life. I invite you to stand together this morning for prayer. Lord, thank you for this reminder this morning. Lord, as we begin this new year to put you first in all things. God, truly everywhere we turn today, life is complicated and confusing. Lord, forgive us because we've done that to ourselves. Lord, you've called us and what you tell us to do in your word, Lord, seems simple. But for many of us, God, it's, it's hard and it's complicated. And God, I pray today you would help us to have the mind of a child as we read and as we understand this text. That you would just help us today to just take you at what you say in your word. God, that you would help us to, Lord, not seek what this world offers us, but God, to seek you first above all things. 
God, one of the greatest challenges of our lives in the life of a Christian today is putting Jesus in his proper place. God, many in our country are forsaking you for other pursuits and pleasures and indulgences. And God, Lord, again, I ask you, Father, to forgive us. Because, God, if you're to move in in your church, if we're here to be a church that's honoring to you in in this this year, in 2024, if we're to be a, a family that's honoring to you, you have to be first. So, God, help us to commit today to seek you first above all things in this life. Help us to to do what's right. Help us to pursue, Lord, not just your person, Lord, but your purity, your pleasure, Lord, your promise. Help us to live in that. Father, I love you this morning, and I thank you, God, for your word, for challenging me through this text. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a second this morning. As we begin 2024, it's a great time. Great time to evaluate and renew some things. Can I ask believers here today, say, look, I know that I have trusted Christ for salvation. I've repented of my sin, believe the gospel, I'm following Christ. but, But I've allowed things to distract me. I've allowed myself to be consumed by worry. And I recognize today, as Jesus has said, that sin in my life, and I need to repent of that sin. Who would commit today and say, you know what? I'm going to seek Jesus first. Right now, I'm deciding I'm going to seek Jesus first. Not just this year, but every day of my life, he's first. He's going to be my priority in my life. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. If you feel the need to leave your seat and get around this altar and spend some time talking to the Lord, confessing to the Lord, to begin this year, what a way maybe to begin this year, gathered around this altar. Maybe bring your family with you and have prayer together around this altar, putting Jesus in the proper place in your home and in your family. Seek Him first. Truly, that's where simple life begins seeking Jesus first. I invite you today as Brother Eric leads us today to put him first. Put him first. Father, help us be obedient to you in this time of invitation. Help us to put you first. Father, thank you for being so good to us. You're such a good, good father. You meet all of our needs. You watch over us. You provide for and protect us. And God, I pray today that we would commit in our church to putting you first. God, I love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to come as Brother Eric leads us.